Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, One of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 546 or lot 622, simple number on it. And you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had... The, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock, all these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes, that's his name, he, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy, and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E, text the word wine to 511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. So text WINE to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. August 1st is Earth Overshoot Day. 
It's two days earlier than it was last year. That's the day on which we have, we being the human race, have consumed all of the productivity of the entire planet in less than a year. Or at least all of the productivity that's available to us, basically. Uh, Earth overshoot day marks the point at which consumption exceeds the capacity of nature to regenerate. It was August 3rd last week, it's August 1st this year. And in part, this has to do with, with global climate change. And, and climate change is, in fact, it's the major driver, or one of the major drivers. As I say, seven, seven billion humans on Earth and a, and a steady move toward more and more meat consumption are big drivers, huge drivers. But they're both driving climate change, so you get this kind of dog chasing its tail feedback loop. I got a, an email from the Pentagon. This is from the Office of the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, SIGAR. And it's a quarterly report to Congress. The email is about the key points. It goes to a whole bunch of different military places, and then they send it out to the press. And I'm on their press list, and so here it is. This isn't top-secret stuff. And here's, I guess, the question. We've got serious, serious stuff going on right now, and it's just not being reported in our media. I mean, climate change will kill more people than even George W. Bush did. Actually is, as we speak. And in fact, I want to get to that in just a second about Afghanistan. Oh, by the way, coming up on the program today, Russ Baker on war powers, Greg Pallast on the Kansas primary, Trump and his billionaire buddies robbing us blind. We'll be getting to all that. But back to Afghanistan. I just got this report from the Pentagon. And first of all, they say the situation in Afghanistan is consistent. Quote, this is from the Department of Justice. The DOJ views the situation in Afghanistan as consistent with a largely lawless, weak, and dysfunctional government with many corruption cases languishing due to the lack of political will rather than the capacity of the Afghan government. But then it gets interesting. They say two-thirds of Afghanistan's provinces are experiencing a drought due to precipitation deficit of 70% in recent months. USAID has told CR that precipitation and snowpack levels have been so low. And keep in mind, snowpack is like the water battery. It's the charge system. We, here in Portland, the mountains around us get a lot of snow in the winter. And then during the summer, that snow melts and that feeds the rivers, right? Same thing in Afghanistan. The snowpack levels have been so low that in many areas, the current rain-fed winter wheat crop has been effectively lost. The UN estimates that over the next six months, more than 2 million people will face severe food insecurity. Severe food insecurity is diplomats speak for starvation. Let me read this sentence again. The UN estimates that over the next six months, more than 2 million people will face severe food insecurity and will be in desperate need of humanitarian assistance. Why? Because the climate is changing in Afghanistan but it's not just in Afghanistan. The Algerian city of Aurgla just set the new recorded high for the entire continent of Africa. This was a week and a half ago. 124.3 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. In Texas, multiple cities are reporting runs of five or six days in a row with temperatures over 100. One day was so hot that the power grid set a new system-wide all-time peak demand record. In an unprecedented heat wave, this is from uh, Daily Kos, piece by uh, Sherwat Spooner. An unprecedented heat wave in Japan is the government of Japan has declared a natural disaster. Kumagaya, sitting near Tokyo, is 
6.9 degrees Fahrenheit. More than 30,000 people in Japan have been hospitalized for heat stroke. This was as of a few days ago, by the way. In Sweden, 44 wildfires. They're asking all of Europe for help. Heat records are being broken all over Denver, Los Angeles, Montreal, Glasgow, Scotland, Shannon, Ireland, Belfast, Northern Ireland, and many locations in Russia, including Siberia. In the U.S. alone, nine all-time temperature records have been broken and 10 have tied records. You got boiled bats in Australia, which follows 2017, which is also record-breaking heat. This out of Berlin from the Associated Press. The headline, Animals Crops Suffering as Europe's Heat Wave Hits New Highs. This while the Koch brothers are having their meeting and talking about, gee, we'll reach out to Democrats who agree with our worldview when their worldview says there's no such thing as global warming because that would cut into our profits from Coke Industries, you know, our oil business. Hmm. Okay, some region of Germany sweltered in the mercury, 102 degrees Fahrenheit. German Meteorological Office says the country's all-time record, going back hundreds of years, 104.5 degrees, that record was beat on Tuesday. Rivers like the Rhine and the Elbe have soaked up so much heat that fish are beginning to suffocate. In Hamburg, authorities collected almost five metric tons, 11,000 pounds of dead fish. Why is this not in our media? Is it because the networks don't want to lose their advertising revenue from Coke industry? I don't get it. Low levels of water made shipping more difficult with a complete ban imposed on boats on the Oder River. German farmers expect the grain harvest to be 20% smaller this year over the previous year because it has barely rained in the past 12 weeks. Potato farmers are expecting harvest to be 25% smaller. In Poland, they've banned swimming in over 50 beaches because the ocean, the Baltic Sea, has gotten so warm that they're having these massive algae blooms that kill people. You swim in this water, you get rash, and in extreme cases, you could die. In Zurich, in Switzerland, the police have put special shoes on their police dogs to pre prevent them from burning their paws on the scorching streets. And Switzerland has also canceled all fireworks. Across Europe, forest fires are causing major damage. 92 people died in Greece earlier this month. Temperatures in Spain, 27 of that country's 50 provinces are extreme risk from heat beginning Thursday. In neighboring Portugal, almost 11,000 firefighters and 56 aircraft are tackling forest fires. In the Banak Peninsula in northern Norway, this is inside the Arctic Circle. It hit 89.6 degrees Fahrenheit, never happened before. In Denmark, the month of July has been the sunniest since they started recording data in 1920. Now, why, why is that consequential? Because what's going on here is that global warming is breaking down the ice pack in the Arctic, which is basically like, imagine that your house is hot, and so you put in the attic a giant ice cube, a giant piece of dry ice, and the cool just kind of settles down into your house and keeps you cool, right? But what happens when that dry ice evaporates? What happens when it melts? Suddenly, the house gets really fat, really hot, really fast. Well, that's what's happening in the Arctic right now. The Arctic is starting to heat at a rate that is actually logarithmic. You can see this over at arctic-news.blogspot.com. The graphics and all the science on it and the links to all the science. And the consequence of that is as the Arctic warms, while the rest of the world is warming, but the Arctic is warming six times faster the consequence of that is that the difference in temperature between the Arctic and where we are, the mid-latitudes, that difference in temperature is diminishing, is decreasing. In other words, the Arctic is not as cold as it was just, say, five years ago. And what that's doing 
is that difference in temperature between the Arctic and, and these mid-latitudes is what creates this wall of cold air that flows around the world at about 100 miles an hour called the jet stream. Well, the jet stream is no longer rigid. The jet stream is no longer a stream. It's become a loopy, wavy thing that is dropping all the way down to the equator and then all the way back up again and traveling these long, long paths. It's still moving fairly fast, but traveling those long paths, it's moving horizontally across North America and across Europe and across uh, Asia much more slowly, which means that severe weather, whether it's heat or drought or rain, lasts longer and does massively more damage. Meanwhile, the Huffington Post is reporting the headline, fossil fuel industries outspend clean energy advocates on climate lobbying by 10 to 1. This is between 2000 and 2016. The uh, study's author, a sociologist at Drexel University, Robert Broll, says public opinion is pretty much a minor factor in deciding what Congress is going to do. Why? Because expenditures on federal lobbying aimed at climate issues topped $2 billion during the years of that study, 20, 2000 to 2016. He downloaded nearly 2 million publicly available lobbying files. Uh, collected by the uh, Center for Responsive Politics to nail this stuff. This is why you're not hearing about this in the media. Why the wildfires in California are be tr being treated like some weird anomalous thing. Gee, when did that start? And and nobody's putting, you know, I, I listen to the BBC every night to get to sleep. And I, my, my BBC podcast a couple days ago, the, the opening story was... There are over 700 wildfires burning in North America. North America from Canada, from the Arctic Circle to Mexico is on fire because of climate change. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The Europeans know about it and know it. The BBC is reporting it. The Canadians know it, but we're not allowed to discuss it. And I'm feeling this week, I guess, more than most that here we are pointing out that climate change is real and that it is now seriously starting to whack the world. I mean, we're looking at next year probably being the first year that the Arctic is ice-free, which will produce a major shift in our climate. And we're already seeing the early stages of that. This is not a good thing. But the media won't discuss it. They don't want to offend the fossil fuel billionaires. And then there's the issue, and this you know, tip of the hat to Virginia Heffernan, a op-ed writer for the Los Angeles Times, who says, you know, we need to talk about a forbidden subject, the legitimacy of Donald Trump. And I would add the Republican uh, control of the House and Senate. She notes that there's been a code of silence around this shady victory and that this victory, first of all, was a technicality. Six out of the last seven presidential elections, the Democrat won the majority of the vote but didn't always assume office. The Supreme Court gave George W. Bush the, the White House in 2000. The Electoral College gave Donald Trump the White House in 2016. So you've got this technicality of the Electoral College. Donald Trump actually lost by 3 million votes. You've got all kinds of exit polls showing, particularly in the five major swing states, that Donald Trump didn't actually win the election. At the same time that we are being told that at least one foreign country actually successfully hacked into and penetrated our election systems. And in states like Georgia, there is no audit trail. There is no way to know if the votes were changed. 
And then you've got, of course, this massive disinformation campaign on Facebook and in other places, in part funded by American right-wing billionaires and in part apparently run by the, the Russian military. So what do we do about this? I think that we need to start calling Donald Trump illegitimate and start referring to the illegitimate Republican Congress. And by the way, we have one illegitimate member of the United States Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch, and Trump wants to put a second one on. Judd Legume of Think Progress just tweeted, just a reminder that someone stole George W. Bush's debate prep book and videotapes and sent it to Al Gore's campaign. Now, this is sort of like, you know, okay, Al Gore's sitting here and what comes in the mail? George W. Bush's debate books and videotapes of George W. Bush doing the debate. What did Al Gore do? He called the FBI. He said, I don't even want to look at this stuff. You guys come and get it and find out who tried to send this to us. Contrast that with Don Jr. and Daddy saying to the Russians, hey, can you guys help us out in this election? No, collusion doesn't appear in the federal code, but conspiracy does. Just like heist doesn't appear in the federal code. But if you were accused of a bank heist, I guarantee you, you would discover that a heist is illegal, even though the word does not appear in the federal code. I mean, this is just bizarre beyond belief. What do we do? What do we do about a media that is completely ignoring global climate change and the crises that it's producing? Two million people are gonna be starving to death in six months in Afghanistan, where we've got soldiers and we're not even discussing this? Instead, we're discussing, oh, the Koch brothers might like a Democrat. Oh, my God. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And let's pick up some of your calls. Ron in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Hey, Ron, what's up? Yes, um, I live out here in rural Michigan. And it, you, you can see this yourself. I have not seen bugs on the windshield or bumper of the car in any mass for years. But it was just brought to my attention this year because of an editorial in New York Times, Sunday, May 27, 2018, in which we have missed the bug Armageddon, not just bees and butterflies, but here in my own case, since the spring, I've counted, and this is August, I've seen like two stink bugs, and the same thing with, uh, with the hornets, I've seen like two or three, and same thing with butterflies, and, and I grow milkweeds around my, my un, uh, you know, sprayed lawn. Mm -hmm. I have not... I seen like two butterflies, a beautiful black one, and uh, a, a you know a nice one. But it, check it, it, check it out yourself. Where are the bugs? I mean, if you go down to Florida, granted, or just, even the South, you don't get see that many bugs. No, Louise and I were in Orlando a few weeks ago, and we were we were noticing how you know it was kind of bug free. And in fact, it was bug free. I never saw any bugs. And then uh, day before yesterday, or Sunday, Louise and I were walking down by the Columbia River, and a uh, uh, a tiger swallow, I think they're called, butterfly, the, the yellow and black ones, you know, with the stripes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, flew by. I've seen three of those this year, and I haven't seen a single monarch. I haven't seen any other butterflies or moths in, in, yeah. the, in this entire year, to the best of my knowledge. And, you know, the, you get the occasional mosquito, certainly. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it used to be that your, you know, summer meant your windshield was covered with dead bugs. 
And that's very much not the case now. And, and when we were walking and talking about this, I was like, wow, there's a butterfly. And she's like, yeah, we don't see very many of those. And I, and I looked up in the sky and I said, I don't see very many birds either, other than, other than geese you know, and hawks and, and seagulls. I mean, that's, that's basically it. But the swallows, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the insect-eating birds, they, they seem to be vanishing too. There is something going on. And, and it's something that we need to wake up from our stupor on this stuff and do something about this. We are not um, impotent. I mean, there, there are technological solutions to where we're at right now. We could be shifting to renewable energy like that. I mean, you know, solar panels are so cheap right now, um, you know, notwithstanding Donald Trump's 25% tariffs on uh, Chinese-made solar panels, but they're so cheap right now that solar power is actually cheaper than electricity produced by any other method. And we've yeah. got enormous amounts of sunlight right now. And, and uh, so you've got that. Plus, you know, uh, we were over in Germany filming for this HBO special of six, eight months ago. And they've got these machines. They look like washing machines. They're about the same size as a washing machine with a big giant hole in the front, a fan. And they take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And they're and they're and they're and it doesn't require more energy to run them, you know, producing more carbon, more CO2 than they use. And that that technology is there and we need to start deploying it. Um, you know, so, Ron, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Um, bot on this. This is big stuff. Mark in Denver. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind? Uh, I think we just need to start voting with our wallets and start buying electric cars to, to uh, fight the Koch brothers. I mean, these things perform better, the storage capacity is better, they're safer. Um, there's all these different benefits, and, and the best benefit is that they don't pollute, so they and, pollute a lot less. And solarize so, your home, and if your power company gives you the option of paying an extra, you know, five bucks a month to have renewable energy, click that box and, you know, do the things. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Mark. Thank you. We need to be supporting these efforts. Jeff in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Maryland has identified the big source of carbon dioxide or greenhouse gas pollution comes from our surface transportation. It's our biggest source right at this time. Jeff, thank you. Uh, and, and let me add, by the way, you said that transportation is the major source of global warming pollution in the United States. Actually, it's not true. The actual major source, when you consider the inputs as well as the outputs, the major source is animal agriculture. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're neck and neck. They're huge. So you drive an electric car, use solar panels on your house to charge it, and start eating more plants and fewer animals, and you know, you're moving in that direction. Gary in Minneapolis. Hey, Gary, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Yeah, I was uh, listening to you earlier, and you talked about that Arctic News website, and I mm -hmm. looked it up. Arctic-news.blogspot.com, yes. And there was uh, an article in there from CBS News that went down every single thing that you just talked about. Mm -hmm. The Arctic, uh, you know, warming up and the air flows and all the fires and all the records being broken and everything, all the facts that you were, you, you were talking about. Right. Not once did they use the term global warming. Yeah. Point made. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like, you know, let's, let's talk about every dimension of this, every aspect of it, but never actually discuss what is actually going on here. I'll bet that article appeared once. You would think that with literally people all around the world starving, with countries being overthrown, I mean, the whole Arab Spring thing was the result of the desert moving south. The price of wheat went up in Tunisia, which caused that young man to catch, light himself on fire, which sparked the Arab Spring. The price of wheat went up 
because the crops were being wiped out. The desert came south more than 100 miles in the last decade. And that's, that's triggered the Syrian civil war, it triggered the Tunisian civil war, it triggered the Egyptian civil war. Um, that's what's going on. You would think that with that going on, with Afghanistan facing within six months mass starvation, that, that we would be paying attention. That this would be on the news every night. But, I know. You know? I know. It's incredible. But what I found so interesting was all the facts that you talked about, they were talking about. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them, but they never used the term global warming. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah, it, it truly is. It truly is. Thanks a lot for the call, Gary. Great to hear from you. Chris in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on KABQ. Hey, Chris, what's up? Hey, Tom. We, we're in the monsoon season over here in, in New Mexico. I just kind of wanted to report to you. You mean it's raining? Experience. Well, yeah, it's, it's been raining, but yesterday we had about, like, I'd say quarter inch to half inch hail, and it was ice. Wow. And it went from 105 degree weather, you know, to that in the afternoon. And my wife thought it was kind of odd. And um, we're, I don't know if, you, if you're aware, Tom, but we're poised to make history here come this November. Deb Howland is running for Congress. And she's a Native American from mm -hmm. uh, Laguna Pueblo. We have a strong Democrat, Michelle Lujan Grisham, that's running for governor as well. I just turned in signatures a little while ago on a ballot initiative for public financing for um, for mayoral candidates as well as uh, city council uh, candidates. So that I'm is great, Chris. Thanks for the heads up, and, and uh, I'd love you. to see you in Albuquerque. Thanks for the and thanks for the information, uh, Denise in Land of Lakes, Florida. Hey, Denise, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Hi, Tom. I was calling regarding your um, issue towards policy change, towards um, environmental issues. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Right now in Florida, we are seeing a unusual outbreak of red tide. While red tide is a normal occurring, um, you know, thing that happens in Florida, um, just seeing the increased amount of red tide that's occurring is not normal. Yes. So the people of Sarasota are protesting policy changes because their beaches have been hit. But also, um, my family and I were vacationing, vacationing in Sanibel, which is um, Captiva Sanibel, which is in Lee County. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that they had an outbreak there. There was no statewide health warning. Um, we go down there. There's no signs on the beach. Come to find out, Mike Pence owns property on Sanibel Island. So I don't, I don't know how to get into conspiracy theories, but I thought it was really interesting that there was no health code warning about, you know, what can happen. Uh, like when you have, um, um, you know, pulmonary diseases or respiratory diseases, you can suffer from asthma-like conditions uh, when there's an out, uh, outbreak of red tide. Right. So my son and I, we, my family and I, we're all on the beach. And, you know, we're coughing and then come to find, you know, dead sea life all over the beach and, you know, just this awful smell of death. And again, I live in Florida, had no idea that this was happening down in Lee County. Go on the website for, you know, Googling what's happening in Lee County and come to find out that they've had an, a red tide epidemic since October, just after Hurricane Irma. And it's all related to big sugar. And all the, um, the levees in Lake Okeechobee have been overflowing and causing this pollution to happen, an increased pollution happening. In What's Big waters. Sugar's role in this? Oh, I'm sorry. They just keep dump dumping money into politicians to have rollbacks and policies. You know, they, I see. 
apparently there's no link to, you know, those pollutants in our waters and just, you know. Oh, I see. You know, hey, you're saying this sarcastically, right? On the beaches. Yeah, I get Sorry? it. Yeah, you're saying that sarcastically, there's no link. Because, yeah, obviously there's a link. And, and you know, this, this thing with, with Citizens United is another example. You know, I mean, the Trump administration is thinking about giving billionaires a $100 billion tax break by changing how capital gains taxes are, are calculated. Capital gains taxes are only paid by the top one-tenth of one percent. $100 billion. You know, it's like they don't care about us, Denise. It's tragic. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead, and it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder, and as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer and you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool and meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know, helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now and I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10 book contract right now and I'm writing so much every single day. I used, to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. And half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, I got to do that. And, and I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting... 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. The, you can learn all about it at choosemuse, M-U-S-E, choosemuse.com. And if you order using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. Choosemuse.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. On the line with us is Russ Baker, the investigative journalist, founder and editor-in-chief of WhoWhatWhy.org. He's the author of Family Secrets, the Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. WhoWhatWhy.org, the website, and you can tweet him at RealRussBaker, R-U-S-S-B-A-K-E-R. Russ, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Hey, Tom. Great to talk to you. Great to have you back on. Um, you know, I wrote a piece over the weekend that's up on Alternate and Common Dreams and whatnot, uh, suggesting that uh, Donald Trump might uh, use, if he uh, finds himself in the position of a cornered rat, uh, that, you know, bad things might happen. And that, in fact, we have a history of presidents using things like manufactured crises or even real crises, 9-11, for example, uh, and, uh, and wars, uh, George W. Bush lying us into the Iraq war, to uh, serve their political ends. I mean, uh, and, and I wanted to get you on to talk about it. In fact, I quote you in the article, your uh, interview with Mickey Herskowitz, that, you know, this is, this is not a new story. Can, can you speak to that and tell us the story of George W. Bush before he even ran for president? Sure. Uh, when I uh, was working on my book, it became Family of Secrets, 
I uh, chased a fellow named Mickey Herskowitz, a very well-known Texas journalist, author of a lot of books uh, on major figures uh, and friendly with the Bush family. And I knew that Mickey had worked for a while on a biography, a, a campaign uh, biography of George W. Bush when he was running for president of the United States. 2000. The book they were working on was in 1999. And I, I wanted to hear what happened to Mickey and why he left the project. And uh, I kept trying to talk to him. He wouldn't talk to me. Finally, at the last minute, as I was heading for the airport in Houston, he contacted me and we met for a bowl of soup. And fortunately, I had my tape recorder and brought it and turned it on. And boy, what a story he told me. He told me about how what it was like to work with George Bush on this book. And we don't have the time to go into all that. But uh, Bush uh, uh, gradually became more and more unguarded and one of the things Mickey had asked him was, uh, what are you going to do, you know, as president? And uh, he, Bush wasn't even that sure. He said, talk to Karl Rove about that. Uh, but uh, he pressed him. He said, no, he wanted to get it from him. And he said, well, I'll tell you one thing I'm going to do. Uh, I'm not going to make the mistake my father made with Iraq. He said, if I get a chance to go in, I'm going in. I'm going all the way. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, uh, Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, his father had stopped there driving him out of Kuwait and had not rolled uh rolled him up uh in and take it over iraq and he said if i get a chance that's what i'm going to do i'm going to go into iraq and i'm going to invade and i'm going to win and mickey herskowitz was so stunned by this so he said to george w bush uh well you know wh why are you going to do that he said let me tell you something when i worked in the when my father was vice president and i was uh, working in the reagan white house he said one thing was made very very clear to us if you want to be president and you want to have higher approval ratings you must be seen as commander-in-chief. He must be seen leading the troops. Is this why said, Reagan invaded Grenada? Uh, yeah, he said basically uh, that all these people around them, and particularly Dick Cheney, who at the time uh, was a powerful congressman, that it was Dick Cheney's uh, notion that you had to have a, a small, winnable war. And as you say, Reagan uh, with Grenada and, and Bush's father, George H.W. Bush, with his invasion of Panama, tiny places, there was no way they were going to lose these things. And they thought it was just a win-win. And plus, uh, they were very excited about what Margaret Thatcher had pulled off with the Falklands War right. against Argentina. Uh, and and they, they just were rhapsodizing about uh, uh, the flowers and the music and her giving these triumph speeches in parliament and everybody being so happy he said you're he said you know your ratings go right through the roof the american people love a good war and he said i'm going to be able to pass my whole agenda and it's just going to be a cakewalk and so that's what he planned to do this story this was before the out. election this was before george w before bush had even the won election. the primary this is before 9-11. It's before all the reasons. And actually, Tom, uh, as I mentioned in Family of Secrets, there was one public occasion uh, after Bush told this to Herskowitz, he actually said it uh, in a candidate forum. Uh, I believe it was in New Hampshire. It's, it's in the book. But uh, he, he said, uh, I can actually quote from him if you want. He said, uh, yeah, they asked him about in a public uh, forum. They asked him about Saddam's uh, weapons stash. And uh, he says, I'd take him out. I take out the weapons of mass destruction. Look, he's using that term already. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm surprised he's still there. And they just didn't know what to make of it. They thought maybe he was just, you know, just playing loose. And that thing never got picked up. I mm -hmm. mean, I, it was reported uh, maybe, I think, in the Boston Globe. But, I mean, it never got any attention. And that was our, right. that was our warning. We've had the downside of this played out pretty well. There's a fellow by the name of Harry Enrique Ruiz Williams, who was uh, one of the two leaders of the Bay of Pigs invasion. And 
uh, Lamar Walter and I wrote a book basically about him called Legacy of Secrecy. And Harry was in the White House with Lyndon Johnson and Bobby Kennedy about a month after Jackson's assassination. On December 5th, they, they had this plan to attack Cuba, to invade Cuba. And this was like December 1st. Bobby and, and Harry were saying to Lyndon Johnson, um, you know, we need to continue with this plan to attack Cuba, which LBJ didn't even know existed. And, and LBJ was like, I've had enough of these effing Cubans, because at that point, L. Johnson actually thought Castro had been involved in the assassination of Kennedy. He said, I'm going to make my stand against communism, which was, you know, an obligatory thing, as far as I can get, as far away from here as I can get. I'm going to do it in Vietnam. And, you know, <laughs> we all know how that turned out. You know, Johnson thought he'd have a little war that he could use to demonstrate how tough he was on communism. And then, of course, Bush's little war with Afghanistan and his little war with Iraq are still going on. Do you think that the American people will fall for this again? Yeah, because it's never been discussed. I mean, uh, and this is the key point. Uh, my story, which I uh, got, uh, you know, I hadn't written the book yet. I got this story in, in 2004, and I couldn't get the media to, to cover it. Um, they said this is, you know, this is too explosive, and they just ignored it. So he got reelected. I don't think he would have been reelected if this story had come out. Now, of course, if this had come out at the time, maybe he wouldn't have been elected. But, Tom, we're talking about plunging America into perpetual war everywhere, pretty much. Uh, the, the whole world changed. America changed because of this. Uh, 9-11 arguably was directly connected to all of this. Uh, Trump is aware of the value of a war. And I think it's an extremely dangerous position. And I do blame the media in part because if they're not going to talk openly about what happened in the past, we are condemned to repeat it. You're a, an astute. I've always had a lot of respect for your political uh, instincts, an astute political observer. What do you think Trump is most likely to do? If he finds himself backed into the corner, if he's looking at at ha having his entire family business, his empire wiped out by the kinds of charges that Paul Manafort is suffering under right now, you know, bank fraud and stuff like that, or having his political dynasty wiped out by the expo exposure of his his uh, conspiracy with other foreign governments, specifically Russia, I guess, in this case. And, and what might he do? Well, it's a very simple calculation. You need something so big that you can take everything else off the table. And, of course, you know this. You work in a large news organization. If there is some disruption, I mean, uh, whether it's a war uh, or an, an attack like 9-11 or something, everything else is gone. It's gone, mm. you know, and people say it's just not it's in bad taste to talk about this other thing. You know, maybe we'll deal with it later. But right now we're focused. We're all pulling together. We're one country. This is what we're always told. Everybody uh, sing the same tune. And we saw that with Iraq. We saw every major network with their patriotic music and the whole number and no questioning and embedding with the troops. Uh, you know, they're ready to go. And, and this is, of course, extremely, extremely dangerous. Is it Iran? I mean, maybe. Is it some other thing? Can you, you know, can you create a situation? Uh, I mean, I think they did it with Grenada. I mean, those weren't those weren't real situations. Panama, right. those were not real situations. So they've done it before, fully capable of doing it again. It could happen anywhere. Yeah, remarkable stuff. Russ Baker, whowhatwhy.org is the website. Russ, thanks a lot for dropping by and talking with us. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. I, I, I wanted to just get some clarity on all this stuff, and, and Russ is the guy. Uh, okay, we'll continue our conversation about where we might be going and how we got here, and, and really about why aren't we all talking about all these things, whether it's climate change or, or Trump. 
This is the Tom Hartman Program. How, how timid, how frightened has our media become? We'll be back. Welcome back. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Alan Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. Online with us is the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News, uh, based out of the U.N. in New York, Luke Vargas. You can follow Luke on Twitter at The Courier. Luke, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. So let's see here. Iran and North Korea, the two possible uh, war-based flashpoints right now. Uh, Iran is saying, uh, you know, we really don't have any interest in meeting with you, Mr. Trump. And North Korea is apparently going ahead with their missile production. Um, to what extent, and, 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 and Trump is increasingly, I think we're all figuring out that Trump actually has this strategy, and it would be fascinating. In fact, maybe we should get, try and get Tony Schwartz on, Sean, to find out if this was a strategy that he learned in his business days of, of basically trashing the person that you're negotiating with, intimidating the person you're negotiating with, and then being very, very nice to them. Um, what's going on here, Luke, and what's the status of these two situations? I mean... I think it's pretty clear, and many of the Iranian experts I talked to this morning seem to back this up, saying that Trump is trying to replicate his North Korea, North Korea strategy with the Iranians. But just because both of these countries have supreme leaders, um, Iran is very much more complex politically, and the Trump strategy doesn't seem to take that into account, the, right. that Trump has been um, – ping-ponging back and forth in extreme ways over the last 10 days or so between threatening the Iranians to then saying, hey, I'm open to talks without preconditions, and then going back to threats. Um, And that that is too inconsistent for the Iranian political system to be able to absorb right now. And and most of the experts I talked to said, look, uh, this was even before the announcement came um, from the Iranian foreign ministry that they would view it as a humiliation and worthless to meet with President Trump this morning, these folks are saying that we don't think this is going to happen, you know, that you've actually seen Rouhani over the last month or so, but particularly and even a little bit further back, going back to the U.S. actually withdrawing from the nuclear deal, that, you know, Rouhani, who, who for so long had expended political capital to defy Iranian hardliners and say it was worth it to take a gamble on American trustworthiness, something the Ayatollah in that country also sort of gave his blessing to at the time several years ago. That in, in recent months, he's pivoted. He's begun to try and, um, you know, sort of um, try and build up his support from hardliners in Iran. He has switched to the language of threats directed at the United States. He's threatened to shut down the Straits of Hormuz, um, and he wants the support of those hard, hardliners. And so it's been described to me as sort of a political suicide should he reverse course again and right put Iranian, uh, Iran's future on the line in the hopes that the U.S. is going to play play nicely when they've shown plenty of willingness that we, we don't want to play nicely. So not perhaps much of a surprise that they've turned down the offer today. And the Iranians, again, do seem to be backing up the strategy you talked about, saying that, you know, hey, look, Trump likes meeting for the sake of meetings, um, but there's just nothing that we could really gain from this. The priority in Iran right now is to go not to the United States and hope for some sort of um, touchdown deal that changes their fortune, but better to work with partners in Europe and the Chinese and the Russians who are still part of the Iran nuclear deal and try to get those much more trustworthy negotiating partners to give assurances 
about how, you know, these sanctions are or are not going to snap back against Iran. I mean, now you bring us into a whole other area where we have seen North Korea doing everything it can to stonewall the United States. Even, you know, bringing back those 55 American remains was pretty um, a puny effort, I think, on their part. And it took them sure. a long time to do it. And I'll just toss out in our final second, The Economist now reporting that in the meetings between Kim Jong-un and Xi Jinping after the Singapore summit, the Chinese have agreed to spend up to about $100 million on improving infrastructure within North Korea. So the sanctions pressure, to put it mildly, from the Chinese is certainly coming off right now. Wow. So North Korea. So basically, Kim gets whatever he wants, and and Trump is standing outside. You know, uh, the emperor truly has no clothes here. Luke, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Yep. Good talking with you. Luke Vargas, The Courier on Twitter. We'll be back. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and your and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Boy. So uh, Brian Kemp won the uh, Republican primary down in Georgia. I lived in Georgia. Louise and I lived in Georgia for a little over a decade. Uh, Lived in Atlanta and and Roswell and Marietta. And... um, I never saw people fleeing the state. It always looked to me like people were coming into Georgia. But uh, Brian Kemp removed 591,548 people from the voting rolls last year, over a half a million. What the heck is going on down in Georgia? Greg Pallast is on the line with us, our old friend, the uh, investigative reporter. Let's see, what's the latest you're up to here, Greg? <laughs> the Doing. best democracy money could buy, gregpallast.com. And you can tweet at Greg underscore Pallast. Greg, welcome back. Glad to be with you, Tom. So w- what's the deal here? We've got the guy who's now running on the Republican ticket for governor of Georgia against Stacey Abrams, this brilliant Democrat. The guy who's running against her last year pulled almost 600,000 people off the voting rolls of Georgia. Um, you know, I'm real familiar with that state. Uh, half a million people did not leave the state of Georgia last year. 
Yeah, I was just down in Georgia, and I didn't see uh, this mass evacuation going on. But what's happened here is Brian Kemp is the Secretary of State. And I know this is only supposed to happen in Russia, but he's the Secretary of State. He's also in charge of the voting there and running for governor against uh, Stacey Abrams. He just won the Republican primary, Brian Kemp. He removed 591,000 people on the grounds that they had left Georgia. Okay, and, uh, and this is the new purge method uh, of purging voters. Now, you have to understand, no half a million people did not leave Georgia. Yeah, I was going to say, where are the FEMA camps? I mean, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, right, okay, so what's happened is, and, and by the way, it's not just any people. He removed people named um, James Brown, named Maria Hernandez, named David Kim, What's going on here? Well, there are two things. Number one, remember our old friend Crosscheck, created by Chris Kobach of Kansas, Mr. KKK, uh, go by his initials, um, and uh, the Crosscheck program has now been transformed. Instead of accusing people of voting twice, they simply say, oh, they've moved, they've left the state. So Maria Inez Hernandez, that's a real voter in Georgia, supposed to have moved to Louisiana because there's a voter there named Maria Hernandez. Maria Cristina Hernandez, they say it's the same voter uh, who's moved out of the state. This is the new use of cross-check. About a half million people were identified that way. Then they got a postcard. It's called Purge by Postcard. Just because you're on Chris Kobach's list does not remove your name. It gets you a postcard. Eighty percent of people don't return the postcard that says, please confirm you are who you are. It's a very goofy kind of piece of junk mail. So most people throw it away. You throw it away, you've thrown your vote away. They also say if you skipped a couple elections, you didn't vote, and their records are horrible. But if they say you didn't vote for a couple elections, you get another postcard. And in a five to four decision, the right wingers on the Supreme Court, in the case of the state of Ohio doing this, said, this is just fine with us. Yes. So what happened is, is that the, the system, which was used in Ohio by the right wing secretary of state, used in Georgia by the right-wing Secretary of State, created by Chris Kobach. They said, if you don't vote, that's evidence that you have moved, which is kind of odd. They send you a postcard. If the postcard does not come back, and remember, if a postcard, Tom, is delivered to you, instead of going back to the state saying, address the unknown, moved, whatever, if it gets to you, that usually is evidence that you haven't moved anywhere. So this ma- and by the way, the most important thing to know is that the lists used, both the non, the people who supposedly skipped voting, the people who didn't return the postcards, the people on the cross check list, overwhelmingly voters of color. For example, uh, you know, just because you're homeless doesn't mean you're voteless. You get to vote. They send these postcards to homeless shelters where people are registered. They're legitimate voters. If they don't get their card, they lose their vote. They send them to soldiers that go overseas. They don't get their card, they don't vote. Remember, we have a heavily minority military. Uh, students, I know one student, my daughter, tried to vote in Georgia. Good luck. Um, if you're moving your dorm room, they say you've left the state. You don't, you're, not a, you're not a resident here any, uh, anymore. You mean like you moving from one, one building to another sort of thing? Yeah, and, and moving within an apartment building, moving within a congressional district down the block, a lot of, again, who moves constantly? Who's itinerant, as they would say? That's young poor people. people, young people, vote, people of color, renters as opposed to homeowners. This right. is an older suburban white homeowner is 900% more likely to return this postcard than a young voter of color 
that's a renter and or in a dorm room. Sure. So it's a racial purge system. It's 591,000 voters. And Stacey Abrams herself looked at the, at the list and said, my God, because she hadn't seen the list. It's being kept secret. She said, look at this. They're removing voters who've moved, but they dig this. They've moved into the state. Stacey Abrams herself did that analysis of the list for me. Um, she is the uh, minority leader of the House, an African-American woman running historically for governor. And so what we're doing about it with the Reverend Jesse Jackson, with um, the Reverend uh, Joseph Lowry's organization, Helen Butler, great uh, voting rights advocate in Atlanta, we are, we've put Brian Kemp as Secretary of State, wants to be governor, on notice that we're going to sue him in federal court under the National Voter Registration Act for violating the voting rights of a half a million Georgians just so he can elect himself governor. He will be wow. sued. We put him on 90-day notice. He's got about 35 days left to give us the names of the people he has removed because we're going to put them back on, and we're suing him in federal court if he doesn't cough up the list of the purged. Are you optimistic that this might actually, this legal tactic of yours might actually work? And, and if so, why, are, why is the Democratic Party doing this in every single state controlled by Republican secretaries of state who have been on this binge? I mean, they've purged millions of people from the voting rolls in the last few years. Well, we filed uh, notices of lawsuits in 26 states. Almost all of these are Republican officials purging like there's no tomorrow. And yeah. there is no tomorrow for Republicans if they don't get these voters of color off the voter rolls and the young people off the voter rolls. Uh, we have had zero help uh, from the Democratic Party, but it's been voter rights organizations, Hispanic groups in Arizona and the great John Brakey, uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Illinois, uh, the Reverend Joseph Lowry's organization in Atlanta, Gary Flowers, the, the, the uh, great voting rights advocate out of Virginia. Um, but, you know, I'm not waiting for the Democratic Party to save our rights. We have to save our own voting rights. Go to gregpalace.com if you want to participate in this historic in this historic lawsuit against the guys who are making historic uh you know uh, fire you know bonfires out of the voter rolls yeah this, this is this is uh, breathtaking how how just in our face these guys have gotten it's got to be that they're desperate it's got to be that they're flailing about that they're flailing around the edges greg i'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the uh, uh there was an article over on the root uh, last week and we had somebody call in about it i checked it out and the author was talking about how the exit polls in uh, numerous states showed uh, Clinton winning, but the voting machines showed Trump winning. And that might be because of purges. People were given provisional ballots, or it might be because the machines were actually hacked. Um, but that article has been taken down. Uh, the publisher said there might be some inaccuracies, and I don't know where those inaccuracies are. Do you know anything about that? I do know a lot about that. The, uh, the, it's called red, the, the odd red shift. Okay, you have exit polls, which is how the United States State Department determines if an election in a foreign country, in Ukraine, in Peru, um, uh, in, um, um, in uh, the uh, Balkans, that's how we determine if an election is honest, if the exit polls match the ultimate decision. Well, the exit polls showed Hillary Clinton won. What happened in certain states? Uh, including uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. What happened is that, for the most part, it's people who were purged. We had ready 2.7 million uh, provisional ballots, which people were handed because their names are not on the voter rolls. 2.7 million uh, provisional ballots were were not counted. In those three states? 
Yeah, no, 2.7 million. Oh, nationwide. The nation. okay. We had 75,300 votes, for example, not counted in uh, Michigan. And Trump only won by 10,700. Almost every one of those uncounted votes were broke from broken down machines in Detroit and Flint. The machines that read their paper ballots, but they're read by machines. The machines broke down and didn't switch the, you know, it's not like some guy pulled a switch and switched the votes from Clinton to Trump. They simply didn't count the votes in Detroit. They didn't count votes in Milwaukee. They didn't count votes in Madison, where students are. Milwaukee's an African-American city. Uh, we had tremendous problems in Philadelphia in, and in Pennsylvania and throughout the nation. And, and it goes back, and you're going to see this, what I'm really afraid of in Georgia. Georgia has just become the deep south first minority-majority state because you've had this massive influx, especially the Asian-American community, which has been a particular, by the way, Jack Kemp's particular target is to go after the Asian American community, which has come in. There's kind of like you a mean Brian Kemp. highway, and uh, they because because uh, Asian Americans vote like they turn black. About 75 percent of Asian Americans vote Democratic now, and that scares the the hell out of out of Brian Kemp. He cannot win if Asian American voters are allowed to vote, and he knows that. And certainly, students and black voters. And Hispanic voters, another growing population right. in Georgia. So, so if you're going to win. do a purge that will sweep up those those uh, subpopulations or those ethnic populations, uh, whatever the proper proper demographic word is, uh, right. the, you do it by looking for common names. Common names, because 85 of the 100 most common names in the United States are minority names, like Garcia, Rodriguez, Black, Johnson, Jackson, Kim, Wong. These right. are the common names of America. And this is the new America. This is what's most common in America are minority names. And so they, you, if you do things like check for literally the state of Georgia, Brian Kemp said there were 535 guys named James Brown who had moved to another state because they, believe it or not, they found a James Brown in Detroit and they found a James Amazing. Brown in Virginia. Greg, we're, 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 out, we're out of time. But uh, Greg Palace, you can check it out at gregpalace.com if you want to participate in this effort. Greg, thanks. Keep up the great work. You're the best, Tom. Thank you. And let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Warren in Missouri City, Texas. Hey, Warren, what's on your mind? Hello, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. First off, I'd like to thank you for taking care of my sanity, but also i got to welcome you to the dark side from the last couple of days. Is I think you're beginning to see how bad things can get. Well, yes and no, Warren. I'm still an optimist, and I'm still very, very hopeful. And I, I actually think that our country has tremendous resiliency, even in the face of what's going on. But I also think that we have been we've been whistling past the graveyard way too long. We're 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 not having the conversations that we need to have about what happens if this really goes south, whether it's the climate or whether it's Donald Trump. Yes, I agree completely, and. Down here, having the conversation is almost impossible. Down in Texas? Just been, yeah, across the South. I have mm-hmm. family from Alabama to here, and it's scary, the denial and the extremes they go to. Do you remember Jade Helm? Jade Helm, yeah, the Operation Jade Helm. Oh, that was the military exercises that, you know, what's his name, the conspiracy guy, Alex Jones, said, oh, this is practice for when they're going to lock us all up in the reconditioned Walmart FEMA de- detention camps. Do I have that right? Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. And they did a news story on this a couple of months ago locally here in Houston, and they pointed out 
that the governor spent millions of dollars activating the Texas National Guard to defend us from the U.S. Army. Right. Right. Because of the right wing conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, the stuff that's out there. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Warren, and, but you wanted to talk about voter suppression, too, in the South? Yeah. This has been going on a long time down here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like since the beginning of the Republic. Yes. Especially since the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, the colonel always decided who won the elections. And we still kind of go with that no matter what information we get, which yeah. is what's so scary. The last governor's race. The polls going into the race showed because the Republicans had actually selected, like the guy who sent out the National Guard to fight the Army, mm. were nuts. Yeah. These guys were way off the fringe. Yep. And the Democrats were polling within a point or two. The exit polls came out, and the Democrats polled actually a point or two ahead. Guess what all the results were? From the voting machines? Yeah. From the voting machines, 60-40. Every Republican in, in the state office won. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, we need, to, we need to clean up our election systems. And what this means, uh, Warren, is not that we should throw our hands up in the air and go, ah, oh, screw it. You know, the no, system's no. rigged. It means that, you know, if they're going to steal an election by five points, we need to show up by ten points. You know, it's just yeah. that simple. We Overwhelming numbers. Warren, I need to move along, but thank you for the call. Uh, and thanks for that spooky bit of information there. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Tom, how are you? I'm well. What's uh, on your mind? You're doing a terrific job, by the way. Thank you for the general subject of climate change. It's so incredibly important. Very quickly, do you know about a channel on YouTube called Collapse Chronicles? No, but I'm familiar with Mike Ruppert's, or Rupert, I guess is how he says it, his movie Collapse. I watched that years ago. He passed away a few years ago, committed suicide. But Yeah, there's a, yeah. a fairly new channel. Uh -huh. uh, it's called Collapse Chronicles. It's a series of interviews with some really genuinely brainiacal climatologists around the world. The first person I listened to was Paul Ehrlich. You remember the population? Oh, I remember Paul well. I've, talked, I've interviewed right. Paul a number of times. Yeah, he, what a terrific guy. Well, he's done an update on that and admits that he had missed the, what was later called the Green Revolution, you know, the production of food, but via fossil fuel fertilizers and things like Roundup and, you know, Monsanto, all that nonsense. He predicts within 25 to 30 years an outright Mad Max scenario. And this is a man who's not prone to hyperbole, right? Yeah. I'm not willing to discard that as a possibility, but I still think that we are within the envelope where we can bend this curve. I realize I'm mangling metaphors here, but if we reach the point where we can't say that anymore, then we have to have a, another conversation about, okay, you know, how are we going to yeah. deal with the possibility now that what? a large human die-off and what that's going to do for culture and society and the planet exactly. and the future of, our, of the human race yeah, and all these things. The morals of it all will be astonishingly. Yeah difficult and yep. complicated. The other thing I wanted to mention quickly was wars around the world, whether they be in the Sudan, whether they be in Somalia, the fact that the Syrian civil wars, if we can call them civil wars, followed directly on the heels of the six-year worst drought in Syria's history. Yep. These things are not coincidences. No, they're not. And, and all the climate dislocation has brought the world and immigration and emigration to and into Europe. The whole thing is so incredibly complicated. Thank you for this conversation. This is so, so important. You're welcome, Nicholas. Thank you for the call, and thanks for watching us there in Mexico. Let's see here, Mike in South Florida. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? I'm sorry. Let me take you off speakerphone. Hold on one second. 
Okay, sorry. I used to live in South Florida. They drained the swamps in South Florida off of Lake Okeechobee, and they ran canals onto the East Coast and to the West Coast, and they started putting up sugar plantations. So Who is last, they? I don't know, 40... Uh, well, Big Sugar. Uh, I so see. there's... Uh, there's a whole bunch of sugar plantations in South Florida that all, all the runoff, all the fertilizer and stuff like that ends up into the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic. And that's where mm. all these, a lot of the, uh, red, uh, the, the red, tides. Uh, red algae is coming from. Yeah. yeah. And since Florida has become real suburban, a lot of the homes that use fertilizer and pesticides and herbicides, they all wash off into the lakes, into the ponds, and the ponds and lakes get uh, red algae bloom, right. red tides. Right, and then you combine that that burst of nutrients with a burst in temperature, and of course, mm-hmm. the warmer things are, the more rapid, you know, both biological and chemical uh, processes move, and boom, you've got yourself an algal bloom, um, spot yeah. on. Thank you a lot. Thank you very you much know, for that, Mike. Can I, can I say one more thing, real quick? Yeah, Tom? sure. The, the, the Naples Daily News uh, ran a, an, a, a series about. F- 10 years ago about the Gulf of Mexico and the climate change. And it was like one section every week. And it was amazing, really amazing. It went against the fossil fuel companies, the fracking, everything. It was really wild. Wow. Whatever happened with that? Yeah. Uh, nothing. But, you know, it was, it was sort of like the newspaper letting people know what's yeah. really going on. Yeah. So it was very interesting. Wake up, so thank people. You. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tom. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mike. Good to, good to talk with you. Uh, Richie in uh, Fort Solano, Florida. Hey, Richie, you wanted to get back to the green algae? Hi, good afternoon, Tom. Good. Long time caller. I mean, listeners from 2006. Um, I just wanted to uh, correct the caller that you had from South Florida talking about the algae problem here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a red tide. It's um, it's a blue-green algae. Uh, ah, the red tide was my phrase, not the caller's phrase. My my bad, okay. Richie. Thank you for the correction. All right. It's a microcystin or a cyanobacteria. Right. And uh, that, that lives in fresh water. And it blooms with heavy nitrogen and phosphorus. Mm-hmm. And we have this Lake Okeechobee here in South Florida that um, when the dam reaches a certain elevation, the Corps of Engineers uh, discharges water out of the lake. Right now, there's 90 percent uh, blue-green algae in the lake. And so the discharges coming into the St. Lucie River uh, is uh, 1.2 billion gallons a day filled wow. with this bacteria. And it flows into the river, into the Indian River Lagoon, and out to sea. Yeah. Um, we've lost 40,000 acres of seagrass. Our oysters are wiped out. Um, and this and, is all due to the... Flood. And Richie, at that, I'm, I, I have to cut you off. I'm sorry, but thank you so much for the call and for the information and for setting the record straight. I really appreciate it. We will be back tomorrow. A fast-moving world that we live in and a lot to do before we sleep. Don't forget... Democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Make sure your voter registration has not been purged by some sleazy Republican. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 